it's like the digital transformation on steroids right now. It's very interesting to see how it goes and how you can support it. It's a very big opportunity for e-commerce and also for brick and mortar merchants to start and ramp up their e-commerce and start building it up in a time where people are going to consume more online. Hey everyone, and thank you for joining us. My name is Alon Livne, and we are here with the very first episode of The Full Cart, a collection of riskified conversations about the e-commerce landscape. Join us as we dive into insights about online consumers, merchants, and the fraudsters that come between them. So it's mid-May, which means most of the world has been dealing with the coronavirus pandemic for about two months, give or take. And while everyone's trying to make sense of what's happening in e-commerce right now, we sat down with Emily Grunzweig, our Director of Insights, to discuss the state of the market. Emily is going to take us through the stages of e-commerce evolution and shed some light on the crisis consumer, the opportunistic fraudster, and the factors that play a part in the recovery of different markets. Emily has been at Riskified for six years, first as a fraud analyst, and for the past two years, She's built the company's insights department from the ground up. Hey, Emily, thank you so much for being here today. How are you? Good. How are you? I'm doing well, thanks. I want to start off with a more personal question. What was the last thing you bought online and what was that experience like for you? It's a very good question. What I planned to buy in the past couple of hours was some wine. We ran out of it. And it was supposed to be a very good experience, but apparently because there's an overload of wine buyers right now, you can't actually order it and get it to your house unless it's beyond some price limit. So I can only send it to the nearest drop point, and that is not very fun right now. So I don't know what to do about that. Yeah, everyone has their own coping mechanism, but it seems that alcohol has become a crowd favorite during the lockdown. Yeah, I think food and wine, the basic consumption of this time. Yeah, so let's talk a little bit about this time period that's actually what we are here to do today. We've been in this state of uncertainty for two months now, and we're seeing consumer behavior online change in a lot of different ways. So I want to ask you, what are some of the trends you identified with respect to consumer behavior? I think in the beginning, we've seen more of what I can define as panic buying. People need to buy the essentials. They need to stock up on food, on water, some of them pet food, everything that they needed right now. Nobody knew what a lockdown means. And that is what everybody did in the beginning. So they were just buying a lot more of the basic stuff. After the panic reaction, meaning we want to have everything that we need to have and we're afraid of not having enough, started a transition period of transformation. And that's the more interesting part I feel around e-commerce. So people need to transform how they're living. We are now living in our houses and working in our houses and with our entire family all the time. And also we need to transform the way that we shop and get the things that we need. So living and shopping has changed significantly. And then we started seeing people transforming what they originally did uh, on the physical landscape, but in a different way. So if we usually worked outside, now we need to have office supplies in our houses, including basic furniture, like a chair or tables and computers, which rose in very significant uh, levels. Both the home and the electronics industry have seen a giant increase in everything that is related to that. 
Later on, we also saw all the replacers, I like to call them, everything that replaces the things that we did outside, like the gym or entertainment, just to consume them in our houses. So we started to see growth in home gym products and also entertainment and hobbies indoors or online, like Netflix and Spotify. That was some kind of transformation that we needed to do. And then came the stabilization time. Now that we know that we're working from home and we're not in panic, and we don't need to transform anymore. And uh, we need to just understand what is happening right now. How are we going to address the next time? Have we changed our shopping habits? Which industries have you seen reacting in unique or interesting ways? So it was interesting to see which commodities are considered by customers as opportunities to buy now at lower prices or higher prices. Afterwards, we've seen the precious metals industry go up, which is a classic prices commodity. But we can also see that in uh, different segments. We all know that everything that is sanitary or hygiene related went up. Also, sneakers is an industry that went up. Maybe it's for, for collectors or it's something that the market is very confident of still having value, which is an interesting input. Another industry that was still very interesting is the gift cards industry. We can see through the years, it has become a very main industry. It's one of the most popular gifts, especially in the US, but now around the world also. And we've also seen a very significant increase in this time. And it could be from various reasons. There are local shops that are trying to collect funds or give gift cards because they need the money later on. It's another way that people can transfer money and give it to uh, someone else. It's a very interesting industry to see right now, which uh, looks like a gift-giving industry and not a self-consumption one. So apart from what we buy, what's changed about our shopping habits, about how we buy? We used to use our desktops to shop mostly. We are starting to see a shift in the past couple of years towards mobile, but now you can see it even more than it was before. Statistics are... Uh, Four out of five orders in March came from mobile apps for at least merchants that have mobile apps. Not everyone has five computers at home, but you will have five uh, people at home. Also, our working hours changed. People are now buying in the very early mornings and also in the very late nights. Like after work, you sit on your couch and just browse about and buy a bit, which was not something that happened before. Before that, shopping hours were quite similar to work hours, and now it's completely different. So we're seeing this change in what people are buying, on what devices they're buying it from, and in when they're buying. Yeah, it's how they shop, what they shop for, and how they actually get it, I would say. You've taken us on a journey from crisis shopping to transformation to stabilization, and I think it's really important to highlight that crisis behavior isn't static. It actually cycles through stages. Definitely different stages, I would say. In the beginning, we had, let's say, a crisis, and now we're starting to go through the transformations toward e-commerce. We're in a less brick-and-mortar platform right now, and we need to transform how we shop as customers, and we need to transform our offerings to customers if we're a merchant. So we need to open our uh, e-commerce uh, website or we need to wrap it up and we need to understand how we support the shipping now that everything or a lot of it has moved to e-commerce, but it's kind of a transition. So you can see up until the end of March, a lot of rapid changes by the day, by the industry, by the country, because we're starting to transform, but it's completely different uh, in different places or in different levels of digital transformation. It's like the hyper-digitization 
of the e-commerce space right now, which started bumpy because that is how it starts. It was after a crisis. It was not pre-planned. And then let's say that we finalized the transformation. We have not, but we are in a more stabilization stage right now. And we're starting to actually see where it goes. So we can see an increase in most industries and most countries. It's starting to look less volatile. You're saying that it's happening in different paces across different markets. And I want to ask you what you think are the factors that impact this bounce back ability of different markets. Let's talk about what a market consists of, right? It consists of the actual market, the actual country. It consists of the merchant and it consists of the customer. And they're not three different actors, the market, the merchant and the consumer. They are all combined and affecting each other. So We know there are different limitations in different countries in different times, right? If there's a full lockdown in one country and a half lockdown in another country, obviously the reaction would be different. But I think this COVID time also enables us to see how different markets and consumers reacted to the same situation a week before, a week after, but we can actually check that. So this is something we're able to do right now. And we can see that different markets have reacted differently to state of emergency reactions, right? In some countries, the sales rose immediately, like in the US, when state of emergency was declared. It was not the situation in Europe that was slightly different, especially in uh, Italy and France, we can see it go down. So really, it has effects that is different. And it's based not just on that market limitation, but also either on merchants that were not prepared enough or did have the limitations of uh, moving to the online world and also the consumers that react differently because of things that are related to the e-commerce landscape. I would call this e-commerce fluency, how much the market both customers and merchants are fluent in the e-commerce language. So let's say the penetration rate of e-commerce in some countries is higher, like uh, the US, it's extremely high. And that shift to e-commerce was very quick. They didn't really need the transformation period. The online market automatically reacted to every crisis moment with shopping in e-commerce because they have this ability. The merchants know how to do it and the customers already trust and know how to buy. So it's an easier or a slicker transformation because that fluency level is high. But in uh, some regions in Southern uh, Europe would be a good example to that. It doesn't have a very high penetration rate. So the e-commerce is still developing. So you actually need to develop it. You need to offer an actual e-commerce platform. You need to understand how to ship. And also customers need to know when and how to buy online. Can I sell if I'm a merchant? Do I actually have an e-commerce store? Do I have the ability to ship the goods? Do I have delivery companies? To which extent? So on the merchant side, you're saying there's a question of how the merchant is able to digitize and scale and handle a situation where e-commerce becomes a much more central player for, for the time being and hopefully longer. And in a very short time, it's not a gradual thing. You didn't have time to prepare for this. Even if you started, you didn't have time to prepare and there was a tremendous spike. And spikes are hard to handle. It's a complicated situation. You have a lot of customers that are coming in, but you've never seen them before. You've never uh, delivered to them before. You've never been prepared to this amount of customers coming in or this amount of purchases in one way coming in. And it's a very big opportunity, but it's a very challenging situation. And as a consumer, can I shop? Can I actually get my goods right now? Have I ever shopped online? Are they prepared to move to e-commerce? Do they have the ability? Do they have the experience? And have they ever done that before? 
So this has changed the reaction and also influenced the, the timing of reaction and what we'll see from now on. We can actually see in our data, markets with a lower penetration rate in e-commerce have also started to increase, but later on. It's not a shift that they did before. It's not places that are already speaking this e-commerce language. So we have seen slower bounce back there. Now we can say that most of the countries are seeing some kind of stability and rise off uh, e-commerce. What you're saying is very intuitive to understand. Basically, in countries where merchants aren't prepared to scale so quickly and so much, and consumers aren't as used to buying things online, then it has a very obvious impact on the performance of e-commerce during this time. So it's very interesting to look at things from that perspective. We are seeing these changes with consumers, with good customers. And what I'm wondering is whether we are seeing a change in the way fraudsters are behaving online. I think the main issue is that it's actually harder to know which is the fraudster and which is the legitimate consumer. If we'll take a look at the usual fraudster behavior, it would usually be slightly different than what you would expect from a legitimate consumer. In what way? A basic example would be the travel industry. Usually the most uh, risky segment in the travel industry would be obviously to buy a last minute, like a ticket for one person in one direction. That is the most risky segment for most airlines and travel agencies in general. Also true for hotels. But right now we, we actually saw that this was completely different because people got stuck in places and they wanted to get back home or they got stuck in places and had to find somewhere to stay. So that shifted everything dramatically. It's like a corona buyer's behavior right now. Legitimate people doing what you would perceive as fraudsters measures. Also, the fact that we're changing our shopping time is also affecting this entire fraud sphere. Fraudsters would usually operate in very, very early mornings or late night times. Doesn't mean that there's not fraud around the clock, but that would be the usual hour. Now, if you'll ask merchants, they will say that there is daytime fraud, which they find very much different than it was before. We're also seeing different shifts. Fraudsters are corresponding with the market. Fraudsters are illegal type of merchants, and they need to sell what people want. So if people want different things, now we will see fraudsters attracting different things. They will also buy and sell Netflix accounts or Spotify accounts. They will also buy gift cards for food or grocery-related shops. It's shifting. They're easy to sell to unsuspecting consumers later on. And easy, meaning either digital, meaning it's easy to sell them, but also things that actually have a resale market. People are looking for it and they want to get the discounts or you can scam them into it. So everything in that sphere would be now attractive to fraudster and wasn't before. So the fraudster is thinking both like a consumer and like a merchant in the sense that they're thinking of what would be convenient to buy and profitable to sell. Exactly. The other thing is that fraudsters are always known for, they're professional at their field, right? So they know how to identify opportunities. And chaos is a great opportunity for fraudsters. The entire scope of fraud is how you can disguise and look like a legitimate customer or be unnoticed, right? Like any other thief activity. So if it's chaos and you can't identify or see anything, or it's harder to see anything because your team is overloaded with customer success and support issues or inventory issues, this time is great for fraudsters. There's mayhem. Mayhem is good for illegal activity in general. I think most of the people I know uh, have got at least one or 
10 messages, either an email or SMS regarding an account that they might need to activate, something that if they click upon would help them with coronavirus related issues like social security and unemployment registering, which is actually obviously phishing scams of fraudsters. And that activity has risen in the past couple of months quite significantly, also because it's a world pandemic. So it's happening at the same time all around the world, making this echo. One of the things you said is that we're seeing a rise in all types of cybercrime. You mentioned phishing and scams that are related to the virus, trying to take advantage of the situation to get people to give their personal information, their credentials, their credit card number. If we're trying to look a couple months down the road, what can we expect on the fraud landscape as a result of all of the cybercrime? So that's the main point, I think, in the phishing expeditions that we're seeing right now. We might see now some very uh, small amount of fraud or something that resembles carding, like checking your websites, not something very significant. But within even a month, if not a bit more, what is the greatest concern is that the phishing scams and social engineering are creating a great strong infrastructure for account takeovers, either creating new accounts that will mature in time and having this like baseline for fraudsters of matured account to use, or just taking over accounts using social engineering. What is phishing? Phishing is taking your credentials from website A. So that place becomes vulnerable and they know so much about you so they can use it in other places. And that will be sold online in the dark web in a matter of no time. And that's, I think, one of the greatest concerns. The other concern is friendly fraud. There are several definitions of friendly fraud. First of all, we can see that all the types of it, if it's a traffic abuse, if it's what we call liar buyers, is rising. People need their money more urgently right now and are also more sensitive about it. So it's easier sometimes for them to file a chargeback instead of going in the entire process of getting their money back or understanding where their items are. Item not received is one of the highest complaints right now because you'd have a lot of fulfillment delays with the shipping uh, delivery companies also overloaded and suffering. They also had to change their entire way of work. We are now in the land of contactless delivery. So you're not signing on what you're getting. And this is also something that could create this kind of influx and friendly fraud. Thank you, Emily. You've given us a very interesting framework to understand the changing tides of e-commerce right now as they affect merchants, customers, and fraudsters. Before we sign off for today, I want to ask you, what, if anything, is the biggest lesson we can learn about this for the future? It's like the digital transformation on steroids right now. So this shift that has been something that is happening around the world for quite some while has given this boost and now has to change and is changing very rapidly right now. And it's very interesting to see how it goes and how you can support it. It's a very big opportunity for e-commerce right now, and also for brick-and-mortar merchants to start and ramp up their e-commerce and start building it up in a time where people are going to consume more online. So I think this would be the interesting part, seeing how merchants transform and also how consumers transform, both in what they shop, but also in how they shop. It's very bad practice and research in general. There's a saying in Hebrew that you should never reflect upon yourself and from that uh, try to understand what's happening or how people would react. But in this kind of uh, chaotic landscape, we're all consumers and we're all new to something that is happening right now. And seeing how we shift as consumers 
is a very insightful way of seeing how consumer will shift and shift in general. We are all consumers in a world pandemic, and we're all trying to adapt. Beautifully said. Thank you, Emily, for taking the time to talk to us today and share some knowledge. And a big thank you to everyone who tuned in. We hope you found this conversation interesting and enlightening. One last message. We are going to be bringing you some more insightful conversations over the next few weeks. So be sure to hit that subscribe button on your favorite podcast app so you can be the first to know when our next episode comes out. Special thanks to everyone who made this episode happen. Yerden Levi-Altschul, Yael Nemni, Amarel Wenkert, and Noam Malka. I'm Alon Livne. Until next time.